Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? My speaking calendar for next year is starting to fill up. If you're interested in having me provide your school, business, or community group with a workshop on ADHD, anxiety, social-emotional skills, resilience, or effective parenting or staff management skills, please email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. I can provide these workshops in person or virtually. Also, if you're not listening to Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb or ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, you're missing out on two solid ADHD resources. In Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb explores ways that you can work with your ADHD brain to do more of the things that you want to do. And Eric Tivers' ADHD Rewired is a show designed for adults who have really good intentions but slightly wandering attention. Finally, the best way to support this show is by sharing it with others, online or in person. So as I always request, let the folks in your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feed know we exist. When you see your family over the holidays, let them know we exist too. And don't forget to hook us up with a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, pause the show and go do it now. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Cindy Jobs. Cindy is an expert in the field of organization, and as an associate certified coach, she helps people with ADHD simplify their lives through education, structure, and support. In today's episode, we talk about setting reasonable expectations around the holidays, the importance of clear, honest, early, and open communication, managing the various holiday pressure cookers, and using traditions to foster connection. All right, let's get rolling. So Cindy, welcome back. Super excited to be here again. This is your third time visiting us, so I think you're officially a friend of the pod. I love it. I've been a fan of the pod forever, but I'm super excited to be a pod family member. Yeah. So we're going to talk about holiday planning. You're the expert in organization. I want to let you start us off. Well, thank you. Um, and, and really, this is about a little bit about organization, a lot about time management planning, a lot about managing commitments, and really coming up with a plan around the holidays because, oh, they kind of start soon if we're not already in the middle of it for some folks. So the things that I like to to touch on when I talk to folks about the holidays, first of all, intentions and expectations at this time of year are really, really critical. So I have a quote that I would like to share. So if people have an opportunity to write it down, great. If you're driving, don't try it. Um, be safe. But the quote that I go back to frequently, whether it's the holidays or any other time of year, is this, if you align expectations 
with reality, you will never be disappointed. And that's a quote by Terrell Owens. And I think it kind of sums up for me the starting point for the holidays, because sometimes holiday expectations and reality are markedly different. If as a family, group, whatever it is, we can come up with some expectations that are doable, I think that's a fantastic start. For example, is your expectation around the holidays Martha Stewart or the Griswolds? (laughs) Markedly different expectations. So if you're more of a Griswold kind of family and you're thinking you're doing Martha Stewart, there's maybe a little bit of a disconnect there and vice versa. The, the, the expectations and reality sometimes just aren't aligned and that makes it really hard. And sometimes within our own family, that difference can be there. I, I know it is for me. I have one sister who's all about Martha Stewart expectations and another sister who's much more on the Griswold side of things. And we, we celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah and all of the holidays. Um, but we, we go from Griswold to Martha Stewart in two days. So like our Christmas Eve is very Griswoldy, and then our Christmas day is much more Martha Stewarty. It's just the way it is. It's just the way that, that the family experience goes for us. So I hear you on those expectations. I love it that you can, can, um, weave through being able to activate both of those expectations or being able to manage both of those expectations. So that's, that's great. Um, when you talk about family, that brings me to another point about expectations, really talking to your family, especially your kind of nuclear family about their expectations and what's important. I hear people wanting to create this very magical holiday experience, you know, the vision of let's go into the woods in Vermont and tap for maple syrup because we've done that for years. And maybe that's not important to anybody anymore, but we try to fit that very magical uh, tradition maybe into a, a box that doesn't need it anymore. My, my personal um, kind of story is our family was really big on popcorn balls and we made hundreds and hundreds of popcorn balls and passed them out to neighbors and friends and whatever. It was, it was our kind of our family thing. It got harder and harder and harder as people moved away. And so we tried to shoehorn that tradition into whatever family activity happened close to the holidays without even really asking each other, is this even important anymore? We were making it such a chore that really it, it, it not only didn't add to the holiday experience, it really detracted from it because it was such a pressure cooker. So if you can kind of sit back and say, what are the traditions that we really want to uphold during a holiday season and which ones can we let go of? That really helps kind of give yourself some bandwidth around what's really possible and, and reality. That communication is critical too, right? Because the holidays is also about managing people as well as events and food and all that stuff. Yep not just for their expectations, but also sort of for the way we interact with our families and, and those kinds of things. That's a, that's a piece of this too. 
the other piece that um, I think is really important to talk to to family or, or any stakeholders, you know, whether whoever you're close to, is figuring out what's really besides the family traditions that are important, really figuring out the balance between social commitments and family commitments, because sometimes we overload ourselves with social commitments, which take away from our family time. And the holidays are about spending time with, you know, friends and family and people that you love. And when we start shoehorning in commitments that maybe aren't important, it gets in the way. The other expectation disconnect I see a lot is around gift giving. Gift giving is a pressure cooker on a lot of different levels because there are expectations about who's getting what from whom and do you buy for all of your nieces and nephews and their spouses and so on and so forth. And it also can become a real financial challenge for people. And again, it could very well be that gifts aren't important to the people that you think they're important to. And a, Another experience that I had personally is I always purchase gifts for my nieces on my husband's side. That's they're they're a gift giving family, and so I I did that. And one year, um, it was such a relief. One of the nieces said, "You know what? I'm too old for you to be giving gifts to me." You know, she was 21, 22 at the time. She says, "You don't need to buy gifts for me anymore." And I thought, wow, that was number one. So such a gift for her to give to me, but a realization that what I thought was important to her really wasn't. There was that disconnect there that I really hadn't explored. So it's worth, it's worth taking some time. Yeah. In my family, we've, we've reined gift giving in down to like the nieces and nephews get stuff. So my kids who are 10, and then I have a niece and a nephew who are in their twenties at this point but we still like, you're part of that generation. So you get stuff, but for everyone else, we just do like a Yankee swap, which I, one of the things I love the most about the holidays, about Christmas in particular is gift giving. I really enjoy buying presents for people. I like the sort of the mental game of it. Like, what do they like? What are they going to enjoy? What are they, what's going to be a good present and that, that kind of stuff. Like I really enjoy that part of it. And so the Yankee swap is just an, the next level of that. Cause now I'm thinking about what present to get for the Yankee swap. And I'm like, what present can I get for the Yankee swap that will hit at least three people so that more likely they're going to find something that everybody wants. So I, now I'm thinking at this other tier, which is even more fun for me because I'm trying to figure out how people are the same and, and what do they share in common that I can turn into a present. If you could define for me, just to kind of give myself a little bit of a benchmark, what does your Yankee swap look like? How does that work? Everyone who wants to be part of the Yankee swap buys a present. I think we limit it to like 30 or $40. We all come with our presents wrapped. Everybody gets a number. The first person picks whatever they want and then gets to pick at the end. They get to swap with someone if they want to at the very end. Got it. And then number two can, the way we do it is they can either pick a, some, it depends on the year. So this, this varies. Sometimes we do it where they can either pick a present or take the something from the person previous to them. So the, in this case, the person who had number one. And sometimes we do it where you open your present and then if you want to swap, you can swap. So if you've got something, you're like, oh, this stinks. And then it continues on from there. So number three can take from one or two all the way down until however many people pick. 
and typically we have we have like one present that is awful at first it was a toilet seat and now it's i think it's like a porcelain poodle or something i don't i'm not sure how it ended up changing but it did and so whoever got that the previous year just wraps it and brings it back and it's kind of who's going to get stuck with the porcelain poodle and how are you gonna because everyone forgets who got it except for the person who has it <laughs> so it becomes a game in there for like how are you going to wrap this so it doesn't look like the porcelain poodle and it looks like something else and so someone will pick it and open it and so it adds like a fun layer to the whole experience that's hilarious because when when i was in corporate america we did this within our, our marketing team and we had a puka shell poodle that got passed from year to year to year so apparently poodle's a thing i guess <laughs> Gifting is one of those things that um, that I run into a ton with folks. Number one, they get you know pretty. There's a little bit of anxiety around, like we talked about, who to give gifts to. Are they important? How much to spend? Do you do a direct gift? Do you do like your swap gift? Do you do a secret Santa? There are all kinds of different ways for that whole gift giving thing to happen. And I think managing, like we talked about earlier, this whole expectation thing around gifts is so important. And what kind of gifts are, quote, acceptable mm -hmm. within whatever social structure you're in. So, you know, I, I love the fact that you guys do the Yankee swap and the, and the poodle is, is kind of not only okay, it's really anticipated because um, that's kind of part of the fun of it. And I think if there's a conversation around, hey, this year, let's not buy gifts for each other. Let's do this Yankee swap thing, have a boundary around um, the, the dollar value and also have a conversation around whether or not it's kind of a, it's truly a gag gift whether everybody gets to bring a gag gift, whether they're supposed to be gifts that people treasure. Again, managing that expectation and having the communications around it is really, really key. The other thing that I think is key is when we're changing our history, when we're changing our pattern around gift giving. So, like my niece said, you don't need to buy me a gift anymore. That was super simple because she, she made that effort. But if at some point I wanted to change the dynamic around gift giving, that gets to be a little tricky because we may be setting ourselves up or someone else up for some disappointment. I think the way to navigate that is to do it on your own. And what I mean by that is you kind of bring it up about you and and way, way before whatever holiday involves gift giving, right? Like months in advance. Hey, you know what? I've been thinking about how gifts are okay, but I'm not like I'm 35 now. It's just not a thing I feel is appropriate anymore. Use finances to have that conversation as well. And, it, and that is going to depend on who you are in your family and what finances are going on. But it's because it can be hard to say like, look, our family just doesn't have the money to be buying dozens and dozens of presents for people. But you can also say, hey, I know that like I know that our brother's families, they probably can't roll with dozens and dozens of presents. So what if we just do a Yankee swap and then it's two presents or whatever? Or 
you know, mom and dad are retired now and they're on a fixed income and we want to make sure that we're being fair to them. And even though they enjoy buying presents for everyone and all that stuff, we want to, we need to tamp it down this year and for the near, for the rest of our time in doing this so that they don't feel like they have to buy a ton of stuff. That's a, that's an approach to take is sort of that compassionate sort of like tactical empathy for another family member. And then also like in our family, we just, my sisters and I just kind of sat down and talked about it one day. It's an interesting sort of rite of passage when the middle generation takes over the holidays. That's true. That is very true. And that's kind of what, what we did. We're just like, all right, well, it's going to look like this moving forward. This is how, this is how we're going to do it. And, and then we sort of tweaked it here and there and it changes a bit as time goes by. But I think, I think it's important to have that communication and that conversation. And, and it's really important to have it way before the holidays. Because otherwise you're disrupting stuff. Like maybe someone already bought things. Maybe they had something in mind. Maybe they're just excited about the holidays and they're more likely to be bothered by it. I, I agree because uh, some of my super organized friends have their gift giving done like in September or gift purchasing done in like September. Oh, it's crazy. I, I'm a little bit more on the, the last minute end of, of gift giving, but my, you know, my husband's a, a Christmas Eve purchaser. So I could change the rules on him at the very last minute and it would be fine, but not fine for some of those people who have made that effort. So I agree with you kind of the earlier you can get out in front of the game, the easier it is. And I think what you did as a group, just sitting down as siblings and saying, gosh, you know, how do we want to redo this? How do we want to redo gift giving for our family for any number of reasons, not only just the financial aspect, but it's a lot of time and it's a mm -hmm. lot of energy and the other thing, you know, putting my professional organizer hat on, I see a lot of well-intentioned gifts sitting in cupboards and drawers and under sinks and things because it just didn't, didn't line up with what they wanted. Um, and so I, I think that kind of taking that pressure off and saying, you know, most of us don't need more stuff. And to, to be able to focus that time and energy and money, if that's the thing, going somewhere else, I think is really, is really a gift to people um, in their themselves. So the other thing I would like to, to kind of mention is years ago, I saw something that someone said in every gift that they give, they put a little note in it that says, if this gift is not to your liking, feel free to return, exchange, or give away. Um, because the last thing that we want is to have a gift be a burden to someone. And so if, if you give something that isn't that that person can't use, the last thing you want them to do is store it for a year mm -hmm. or however long, right? Um, and so giving people permission to say, you know, I, I, I thought this was right for you. If it's not right for you, it's okay to let it go. That's an additional gift we can give to people. Yeah. And putting on the ADHD coach hat, um, like a, a, an example from my life, when, when Amy, my wife and I first started dating, like it's within the first year of us being together, she got me a massage at like a local massage parlor. I think it was for my birthday. And I never used it. Like I lost the gift certificate and it went, I just didn't do it. I didn't execute on that. So absolutely buy your ADHD person 
a gift certificate to something. But also, if they don't do anything with it, don't get upset. They might just have had an ADHD moment and it the gift certificate vanished or or whatever. And or support them in executing on it. So if it's if you're gonna get your ADHD boyfriend husband a massage, maybe make it a couple's massage and go with them so that they actually use it. Because I still feel kind of bad about the fact that I'd never used that. And I felt much worse about it before I knew I had ADHD. Once I got diagnosed, that reframed that particular mess up on my end eventually. And I'm not, I'm not carrying that so much anymore. But I do, when my wife gets me stuff now, I'm much more careful about making sure that I use the thing. And related to that is, is this I- the idea of sort of gifts versus experiences. Yeah, and I think experiences are, are fantastic. They're, and they're things that you can do together. So as a family, do you want to go to this movie? And as a family, do we want to go on this weekend trip as opposed to buying you know, gifts for each individual person? Um, I think the experiences, if appropriate for everybody in the group, are great. And they're, they're not clutter. You know, they're, they're things that, that are very, you know, usually very thoughtfully um, scheduled and you can schedule things in advance or, you know, so I think the experiences, because again, most of us have enough stuff, but do we really take the time to say, let's go, let's, let's, as a family, let's go for a walk and a picnic. Maybe not the best in November, December or January, but let's go do something that not only is fun and different, but it connects us. You know, getting another video game isn't probably the best connectivity tool for the family. So I think doing something that, that brings people together, or creates those experiences is a really, really good idea. Even playing with that a little bit, right? Like I can see a video game being an experience depending on how you do it. If you've got an older cousin who would like to spend more time with his younger cousin or whatever age of cousins, and they don't live anywhere near each other, but they can connect over the internet. And one cousin really enjoys, I don't know, uh, let's go with Fortnite because it's the one everyone's playing. Maybe they get their cousin Fortnite for the express purpose of being able to play together. Now it's a, it's a, it's a video game gift, but it's more of an experience. It's changing that present into an experience, into quality time with their cousins who live across the country and Hopefully they know how to schedule that and figure out how to make the times work, but that's a choice. And one way that, that my family has recently given experiences over gifts is my father and my sister sort of combined to form Voltron to get my kids uh, ski lessons and ski and, and lift tickets for the local ski mountain. Turns out my kids loved it. That was a big deal. I mean, my, my wife tore her ACL the first time we went out there. Um, so that was an experience as well. But, but after that, you know, we, the boys and I went skiing three or four times over the winter as a result of that, because they liked it so much because it was such a engaging activity for them. Sometimes the experience gift, it might not be the whole family, but it might be here, try this thing out. Oh, nine-year-olds. And it, it might just work. It might wind up hooking them and I wouldn't go overboard. I wouldn't get like a season pass to a ski mountain if they've never skied before, but one or two lift tickets is probably a good idea. Well, and even if the, and I'm just going to use your family, even if the, the gift had been for just the, the kids, mm-hmm. that also creates some time for you and your wife. 
than if they're doing you know ski lessons. So that that there might be a little gift in there too. And I really appreciate you reframing the perspective around video games. I'm I'm not a gamer, as you could probably tell from me suggesting that it wasn't a group gift or an experiential gift. So I really appreciate you reframing that because that kind of opens up my mind to some different things. And um, what pops to mind is the experiences might be something as simple as committing to do a Skype session, you know, with someone or sharing a meal with someone that you can't physically share a meal with, but you can Skype dinner together or the gift of, um, I have a book club that's geographically very diverse. Our gift to each other can be to have our, you know, we can have a book club holiday celebration. So kind of reframing, and I really appreciate that because really reframing how to create that connectivity when you're not geographically connected. I really appreciate that. That's, that's, a, that's a mind opener for me. So thank you. Cool. Thank you. That's all because of this podcast. It, it's just because I connect with people all over the world, literally, um, virtually, and it's become more comfortable for me. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, the last thing that I kind of want to say about gifts or last couple of things, in addition to, I'm, again, I'm really encouraging people to give their gift recipients the gift of something saying, you don't need to keep this if it's not for you. Um, I also hear a lot about people not wanting to give gift cards. And I, I personally think that gift cards are awesome because it opens up opportunities for people to kind of get what they want within a context. So if you're a sports person and you get a gift card to a sporting goods store, it gives you kind of permission to go buy something for yourself. Um, and I do encourage people if they're feeling like it's just not that personal, create some personality around it. You know, if it's a, if, if there's something, you know, that somebody likes movie theaters rather than, you know, handing them an, an AMC gift card and thinking it's impersonal, go buy them a box of Orville Redenbacher popcorn just to kind of make it something a little bit different than just a, a gift card in an envelope. And there are so many ways to personalize gift cards that I think a lot of people feel are a little bit of a dispersonal gift. So just some thoughts around, around creativity around gift giving and thoughtfulness around gift giving and, and going back to your communication about expectations around gift giving, I think really helps people feel a bit more centered around what they're doing. This has sort of been a subtext of what we've been talking about, but I think it's important to pull it up to the surface is sometimes you have to occasion the gift. Like you've got to tell the person what the gift is about. Why is this gift significant? I'm getting you Fortnite so we can play together. Right. My nephew, a few years back, got an internship. My dad got him a gift card to like a suit maker. The thing that made that gift great was not that my nephew got a suit. It was that his grandfather was ridiculously proud of him for this internship that he had gotten and was buying him a suit so he could enter the professional ranks of sort of the adult world. Yeah, that is awesome. And if you don't make a deal out of it, if you just give the gift card to the suit place, okay, thanks. But if you make a deal out of it, that gift changes. 
Yeah. It's a different experience. It, it, you know, I, I think anytime we can connect a why to whatever we're doing, whether it's gift giving or whether it's commitments that we're making, projects we want to do, I think anytime we connect that why to, to whatever it is makes it just that much more powerful. And that comes into other traditions that we, that we may or may not be fostering in the course of, of a holiday. Mm-hmm. As we record this, Thanksgiving is around the corner. Yeah. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas are coming in rapid succession after that. Yep. And different traditions play different roles in those various holidays. Like on my end, my wife makes sweet potato pie. That comes from her family. So Saturday, we're having fake Thanksgiving with my family. And my wife asks, do you want me to make sweet potato pie? Because it's that's a new one for us. I love it. And it's been kind of like unclear. Does anyone actually enjoy this or not? And now we know, no, my sister's actually really like that. So that's a tradition that's being spread to a new family by way of me marrying my wife. And, and paying attention to those, those foods and what they mean is important. Like we have Nana's chocolate cake at Christmas that is the Nana who that is referring to passed away like 10 years ago and hadn't made that cake probably for 10 years prior to that. But it's still Nana's chocolate cake. Even though as far as my kids are concerned, Nana is my mom, not my grandmother. To them, my grandmother is Nana Goo, but it's still Nana's chocolate cake. And that's the story. So the story of Nana comes up when we do that. And my, the boys and I gave a present from my mom. My mom made a lot of salt. Uh, she's a big fan. And I found like salt of the world at Trader Joe's. And I just wrapped it up and said it was from my mom and put it under the tree. I set it up like my mom was coming back from the spirit world to tell everyone she loved them by giving them salt. Um, but those kinds of presents too are there to play with, with our family history and our family story. And, and my boys don't remember a lot about my mom, but they do remember that she put salt on almost literally everything. And that's a thing that is a way for them to remember her. And then other traditions that we've got are like, for my family, stockings were a big deal. And eventually we kind of had to let that go as, and it was hard for us as adults even to be like, I guess we don't need stockings anymore, even though it's the best part of Christmas. But that transfers down for me. I do the stockings for my wife and my kids and and me and my dog, but my stocking is less exciting because I do it. And that that carries a lot of meaning for me. And my hope is that when my boys are dads or husbands or whatever they wind up being, that tradition will carry some meaning for them when they get to pass that forward to Mm -hmm. whoever they pass it forward to. Um, And it's okay for me to let go of that as being the receiver because I'm still part of that tradition by passing it forward. Yeah. And I, and I love all those stories about connecting gifts to traditions and gifts to what's important to you and, and hoping to be able to pass that down because that'll be lovely for you to be able to see when you're, when your kids are older, that that's meaningful to them too. And you get to enjoy the excitement of them checking out their stockings in the morning. And so that's a gift to yourself also. And they can change. Like it's okay for traditions to shift and dance and change and become something else. I think the harder we try to cling on to a given tradition, almost the more damaging it can become. Because if we don't allow it to change with the times, it's not going to foster connection in the way that we want it. It's going to become something to bicker about. 
Right. It kind of goes back to that gift that you receive. That's not really a gift. It becomes a burden. And so when we, when we don't allow ourselves to be open to change, um, that can become a burden. So I, I agree. And we, we focused a little heavily on gift giving so far, but I want to, I want to kind of pull out of that for a minute or two and talk about communication and self-care and, and getting help when we need it and those sorts of things. Cause that's critical here too. We've throughout this whole chat has been that whole communication piece and talking about communication around expectations and communication around gifts and communication around kind of changing up traditions. So the communication piece is huge because that's really where we can check in on the alignment of our expectations. So I have um, one client who part of their holiday strategy is that the the mom and dad sit down once a week. Well, they, they've, they've managed, they've set their expectations for the season and said, okay, these are the things that we're going to do. These are the things that we're buying for here, are your responsibilities here, are my responsibilities, so on and so forth. And then they sit down once a week or sometimes twice a week, depending on what the week is and do a little staff meeting around how are we doing with the expectations? So if you're living with someone who has ADHD, there's a chance that if it's not now, it's never. And so if you've come up with a fantastic, as a couple or as a family, whatever it is, come up with a really good game plan around who's doing what, when, and then our expectation is it's just going to happen. Our expectations might be dashed somewhere along the way. So they sit down and have kind of a touch base little staff meeting every once in a bit saying, okay, you know, you were going to buy this and you were going to do this and Thanksgiving is next week. And so are you like, just so you know, turkeys aren't available on Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And so how's that plan going? And, and really just touching base to make sure that there aren't any surprises along the way. And that's really important with, you know, social calendars. It's really important with budgets really just important to keep those communications flowing. The other thing that people, I see people sometimes missing around communication is looping the kids in. I have always been the person that needed to know what I'm doing tomorrow and the next day and the next day and possibly three weeks from now. That's where my comfort zone lives. And I think sometimes adults have an expectation that you're a kid, you're six. What does it matter? You know, it's not like you have to arrange carpool or anything. So I think sometimes we forget that there are little people amongst us who also need to have some really frequent communications around expectations and schedules. And this is what we're doing because that's what they need to be able to feel comfortable in what for some is really a time of chaos. They have people coming and going through their house. They have holiday things at school. They're supposed to bring extra treats. They're supposed to do this. They're supposed to do that. And it kind of can create a little bit of chaos for the little people. And we need to be aware of how important it is to communicate with them also, even though 
their commitments to the process might be more limited than we think. Another reason it's critical to talk to the kids and let them know what's going on is you're more likely to get a meltdown if they don't know what's happening. Yeah. And we have to pay attention to what their balance level is. Like kids can get full of people pretty quick. So if you're jumping from house to house and visiting lots of family members and your kid is slowly getting more and more cranky and or quiet until they explode, however they go, you need to be aware of that. And you need to remember that for next year and do less. <laughs> right. Because this time, just like it can be overwhelming for adults, it's often more overwhelming for kids because they usually don't even know what's going on or why it's happening or why it matters sometimes. Who is my Uncle Joe? Why do I have to talk to this guy who's 80 years old that I see once a year? Why do I have to talk to him? Why does he matter? If you want your kid to have a relationship with Uncle Joe and really prioritize seeing him on whatever holiday it is, maybe prioritize Uncle Joe at a time other than the holidays when it's going to make more sense. And then that will make the holiday visit with Uncle Joe also make more sense. Adding to that, I'm big on boundaries. And as adults, we can kind of understand and communicate our boundaries. For kids, it might be a little bit more difficult. So like you said, being really in tune to kind of how your kid's acting and, and if they need to go sit in a dark room for 10 minutes, even though it's right in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner, maybe that's okay. If the boundary is, you know what, we're going to make this an adult party so you don't need to be overwhelmed by maybe a bunch of people that you don't know and we'll find a sitter. We'll ask grandma to come over and hang out allowing the, the kids to have some part in, in determining what's comfortable for them mm-hmm. versus just saying, nope, this is what we're doing and, and suck it up around Uncle Joe or whatever it may be. And related to that, in terms of boundaries, your kid doesn't have to hug anybody they don't want to hug. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. They just don't. That's their body. That's their space. They're allowed to not want to do that. They can fist bump people all day long, probably be more comfortable with it. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's one of those things that as a kid myself, um, I always thought was odd that it, I was, and not Santa, I'm taking Santa out of this loop, but I always thought it was odd that I was expected, asked whatever to kind of sit on someone's lap that I hadn't seen, this woman that I hadn't, again, you know, see once a year if that. And to, to pretend that we had this familial relationship that we don't, that's unnerving. So yeah, I pr- really appreciate you saying that because that gives, again, boundaries for the kids to be able to enforce. And that's another key communication tool, not just for the kids, but for the people that might have that expectation that, you know, no, it's my great grandson who I, whatever, whatever the relationship is the expectation that that person might have that a familial relationship is there that's not, and that it might be frightening for the kids or at least uncomfortable. And no one wants anybody to be uncomfortable. And also with these random family members that your kids are going to have to talk to, and I know we're kind of wandering a little far afield of the organizational side of this, but with the family members or friends or people that your kids see them once a year and don't know what to say, change the questions that those adults are asking your kids. If you're listening to this podcast, your kid probably has ADHD. If your kid has ADHD, 
they probably don't love going to school. The go-to question for every adult seeing a kid that they don't know well is, how's school? Give those adults something else to ask. Tell them about how your kid loves the local basketball team. Tell them about how your kid is a huge fan of Minecraft. And when they say, what the heck is Minecraft? Say, I don't know, you should probably ask them. Give your kid something to grab onto in that conversation. Because if the question is, how's school going? Your kid is going to say, fine. And that conversation is going to get awkward immediately. I know because I was that kid and I did it all the time. Except with my uncle Larry, who always asked me about the Celtics. And we had conversations. And I still have more comfort and connection with my uncle Larry than with anyone else in my mom's side of the family. Now that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, it's, it's preparing people for success, right? Mm-hmm. It's really preparing not only the kids, but it's preparing the adults in the, in the equation for success. And who doesn't want to be prepared for success, right? Right. Because it's not the job of your kid to make that conversation go smoothly. Right. It's the job right. of the adult. And it's your job as the parent to help that adult make that conversation go smoothly. Now that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, and speaking of, of, of comfort levels... We all, I think most of us anticipate that the holidays are going to be a little bit stressful and you kind of brought up, you know, we talked about communication, self-care and self-care is so important and it doesn't have to be going to the spa for four hours to decompress. Self-care can be saying to somebody else in the household, I need 10 minutes. I need, I need 10 minutes to go out and take a quick walk or get some fresh air or go lock myself in the bathroom, whatever it is. That's self-care. And a lot of times what I find is people just think that they're, they're a burden when they ask for somebody to help them, whether it's with self-care or projects or whatever. I think the burden sometimes is when we get ourselves into the position where we need self-care and we don't ask someone else for help mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. my guess is that if your wife needed 10 minutes to take a walk, you're like, I'm putting my hand in the air. I, I am on it because if she didn't need it, she probably wouldn't ask. Right. And that's really taking care of everybody in the family and realizing and understanding that this is a time where things get ramped up. There's just so much more to do and there's so much pressure around lots of stuff that we do that it's okay if you generally don't ask somebody to give you a hand. It's okay this time of year to ask for a hand. And that circles back to the planning stuff you were talking about earlier. Yep. Plan for where you might need that self-care and plan for how you're going to navigate that in advance. And connected to that planning, something that I wanted to make sure I mentioned is uh, maybe don't have the ADHD person run the last minute errands <laughs> for yeah. only one reason. The ADHD person is great for running a last minute errand because it's very impulsive. They're going to want to go and do that. They might need a break from all the noise of the house. And that's great. If you are not okay with them coming back with more than you asked them to buy, don't have them run that last minute errand. This is a time of year when the impulsivity of ADHD is going to lead to more impulsive spending, whether it's for presents or for side dishes or for we probably need marshmallows for something. It's just going to happen like, ooh, eggnog. So anticipate that 
and either be okay with it or say, hey, I'll have Uncle Charlie run this errand or say, hey, can you run this errand? I need more breadcrumbs and please don't buy any more than three other things. Like if you give them that little heads up that they're maybe going to go crazy, it might rein them in and they might only buy five things. And if I'm okay with getting three more things, can you make sure that the breadcrumbs in those three more things are back within the next 45 minutes? And guesstimate how long it's going to take them to get to the supermarket and text them like somewhere in that window so that they get the breadcrumbs because they might just get eggnog and marshmallows. And I think that that's really important to, to understand where people's strengths are and understand where their vulnerabilities are and kind of cover for the vulnerabilities because the last thing that you want to do is be really super cranky in the middle of a family gathering because we've got breadcrumbs, marshmallows, a prime rib that we don't know what we're going to do with, and some pumpkin-flavored Oreos that were on the clearance rack. <laughs> set, that, set that person up for success by using those boundaries is, you know what, I'd love to have you go to the store, get breadcrumbs. Please don't buy more than three things. And if you can be back in 45 minutes, that's critical. One other thought that I'm having, because this is totally a thing I fall victim to when it comes to planning for the holidays, uh, know everybody's allergies. Oh yeah. Be aware of food allergies. I, I'm not, I don't want to throw my dad under the bus, but I'm going to throw my dad under the bus. Um, I went over there not too long ago for like a family birthday stuff and he made meatballs, which is great but he put ground pork in it and I'm allergic, I'm allergic to pork. I couldn't eat the meatballs and I had to go to like Bertucci's and I ended up getting meatballs. So at least I was eating the same kind of thing. Um, and it's honestly, I'm not throwing my dad under the bus cause he sent an email around that was like, are there any food allergies that I should know about? And I was just like, uh, you already know mine. So I'm not going to respond. I have a hundred other things to do. And I should have responded cause he needed the little, he needed the reminder and he asked for the reminder and I didn't give it to him. Um, so don't assume that everyone's going to remember your food allergy. They might not. And make sure that you're asking everybody about food allergies that they, want, they may or may not need to navigate. And with that said, just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I do. I've not seen situations where over-communication has resulted in anything being bad. Usually over-communication is a good thing if you're balancing against under-communication. So I would say communicate early, frequently, often, and if you want to err on the side of something, err on the side of over-communicating versus making an assumption that someone knows that you have an allergy to pork. So communicate frequently, often, early, and as, as much as you can. The second thing is really more heartfelt, and it's all about expectations, reality, and gratitude. The holidays are supposed to be a time when we all want to hang out and get together and have a good time and spend time with people that we don't sometimes have time to spend time with. If we manage our expectations with reality, then it offers us an opportunity for gratitude to come in. We can be grateful for the fact that we've managed our expectations well. We can be grateful for the fact that we've set boundaries with our kids around adults they don't know. So really focusing on 
communication and gratitude that we have the ability to hang out with people this time of year. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.